Hello, my name is Nick Spacek, and you're listening to From and Inspired by a podcast about soundtracks and the people who make them. On this episode, we continue the second season of our summer series, Your Favorite Soundtrack, where we talk to our favorite people about the soundtracks they love. We continue this summer series talking with Charlie Brigden, freelance music writer and expert in all things film scores. His favorite soundtrack is John Williams' score for the 1980 Star Wars film, The Empire Strikes Back. Again, thank you so much for taking time to talk to me. I appreciate it. That's okay. So you have chosen the score to The Empire Strikes Back. That is correct. I know you're a huge film score person, but like, what specifically about The Empire Strikes Back makes this one stand out to you? Like, that makes it your favorite? Um, well, there's kind of all sorts of things right here. I mean... I'll put my hands up. Nostalgia is is certainly a big one. <laughs> I mean, it's it's always been one of my favorite films since I was a kid, and kind of like the the first soundtrack I got on record was the soundtrack which in Europe um, it was a terrible cut down version because um, America and Japan got a two LP version like mm-hmm. the original Star Wars, and then for whatever reason um, Europe got a one LP um, where the main title was on side two. <laughs> um, so it, it was all messed up. Um, so, yeah, so being, I mean, I was, I was born at the end of the 70s, so born right on kind of when that, when Star Wars hit big. And then growing up with <clears throat> not only the kind of the, the movies, but also um, when they used to do the books and records. Oh, I love um, those. And then, and then the books on tapes, because they were always cheaper. Um, so... What I would do is I would play the tapes on um, the little the little kind of ghetto blaster we had um, in my bedroom. Actually, I think it was probably my sister's bedroom because it was bigger. Um, <laughs> and, um, and and listen to those while playing with the toys. Um, and while they had all the dialogue and sound effects and everything, it was really the music that I was playing too, and that was what really kind of stuck the imagination. Um, <clears throat> And then returning to it as an adult um, and looking at how good the film really is. But just looking at the score, and it's amazing. I mean, it's just an astounding piece of work in terms of how it works, just as a score straight for the film. Um, but also in relation to just to, to stars and, and just how it completely expanded it. I mean, look, looking back... I don't know that any other film score had really kind of expanded on its previous um, 
or it's on its prequel or what have you, like Empire Strikes Back did. I mean, you had stuff like Planet of the Apes, and which it kind of they had the same kind of atonal kind of soundscape mm-hmm. um, as uh, as as Joe Goldsmith's original. Um, so they kind of they kept along the same lines, and even, even as he did one of the sequels, he did uh, Escape from the Planet of the Apes, um, but but even that was way different to the original and didn't really make any explicit kind of reference um, to the first film. It was a lot more kind of jazzy because the film was a lot more kind of satirical. So I guess it was, it was more akin to something like, um, like the original Star Trek, something like that, more TV, because it was serialised. So you had kind of people building each episode. But, I mean, just looking at it, I mean, he introduces about four brand new themes. And there's about three or four or five new motifs. Um, there's all the kind of set pieces he does. Plus, he's kind of also reintegrating the, uh, the the four main themes that really came out of the first film. So it's, it's, it's the way he's just, he's just kind of juggling all of that and still making everything a part of the, uh, the the same world as it were musically, but also doing some crazy different things as well um, that just makes it seem fresh and not a retread. I mean, sometimes you kind of think of when they do do sequels to uh, films and they and they have the same composer or they have someone using the same themes or what have you, and sometimes it's almost like a kind of checklist. They're just ticking boxes, <laughs> whereas kind of. The kind of thing he did, kind of like, like the Luke Skywalker's theme, um, which is the main title. It's all over the uh, all over the film, but it's mostly used in kind of this weird um, downbeat kind of minor key, just to kind of really illustrate Luke's kind of struggles throughout the film. I mean, because he has a really bad time, <laughs> uh, and you kind of all the kind of stuff with Yoda and all throughout that. Um, and there's some really kind of subtle stuff that um, I don't know how many people really kind of pick up. Uh, and it's it's amazing just the way he can kind of manages to kind of thematically weave all these kind of themes in and out um, and not make, not necessarily make them kind of stand out as, a, well, this is this theme and this is really obvious use of things. And, yeah, so it's just amazing. Uh, it's just just such a supreme kind of command of symphonic composing as well. interesting part is how many of these themes have gone on to be revisited over the the course of the 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 i was you know going to say the trilogy but i mean like over the course of you know all of the films at this point um the the fact that you know the imperial march has become 
as iconic as the the main theme, which is yeah. like really sort of uh, astonishing for you know just like a, a character theme. It's not not the sort of um, like score music that usually you know everybody remembers the main theme and that tends to be about it. Um, but like I mean, it would go on to get you know used. It became Vader's theme. It's what you saw. It's what you heard when you saw him. And then, like, even in the prequels, it it, it got turned into Anakin's theme, sort of like in, in you know by inverting it and playing it slightly in a major key, which I thought was like I, I think yeah. that actually got it. Like, I looking back almost twenty years to the first time that uh, uh, the Phantom Menace came out. Like, I, there were cheers when like that popped into <laughs> Anakin's music. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, just you just need to look at the, the last one, the Last Jedi, where which which contained quotes of, of those three major Empire themes: the uh, Darth Vader theme, Yoda's theme, and and the love theme. And it's it's still there, and it's still kind of being relevant as well as just well. I mean, yeah, like Darth Vader's theme culturally is if if you need a theme to represent someone evil, that's the one everyone picks. Still. 38 years later well and also it's another piece of, like williams like two of his most iconic pieces of music are the ones that are used to sort of indicate either like a, an evil character or just like shorthand for danger you know his theme for jaws um yeah. it seems that you know for for as much as he's known for like rousing adventure like he he's also quite good at expressing uh, uh, danger. Don't touch that. Absolutely. I mean, Jaws is an amazing one. I mean, I still think think it's it's so amazing that with, with Jaws, it's something. I mean, even even though I have no fear of water whatsoever, and I, I love it, and I even I have no fear of being eaten by a shark when I get in the water, but I'll get in a swimming pool and I'll hear that theme. <laughs> Because it's what I associate with water, with swimming, and that is just sheer power. And it's like, I, I mean, it's like I, I don't think I don't think of psycho when I have a shower, <laughs> um, and I, I don't think of kind of like the when I go in, in the in a woods or anything. Um, but but to go in something like a swimming pool, which is <laughs> closed off, kind of public, safe place to swim, and to still have that music just instinctively come in your head is um is just incredible and i mean with with darth vader as well it's almost it's almost kind of like an anti-hero thing to it it's cool he's cool people kind of love darth vader as a character so much and um so you'll you'll go to a uh a football match over here or a baseball match over there and you'll hear teams walk out to darth vader's thing (laughs) And it's just insane. And for a thing to have that much staying power and to, to mean that much culturally and to come from a sequel is just, yeah, it's, it's crazy. Um, but it's, it's just, just such a great example of just how good the score is. And, I mean, all, all the themes in it, all the little motifs are just amazing. Um, the, the love theme's unbelievable. There's so much kind of... I mean, it's beautiful. It's kind of the kind of very neoclassical, romantical thing going on there. But there's the kind of the the tragic way it's used as well. Is that there's so much power in that. And then Yoda's theme, which is so versatile, like his character, and kind of like the the kind of the different ways he's used in the film. 
uh, which again, kind of something um, they alluded to a, a bit again in, in The Last Jedi. Um, so you've got the kind of mischievous side of his character, but also there's, there's some, you, you, you just listen to that music and it's kind of like the mischievous part is just kind of like almost the bridge, mm. but just the main theme as it is, there's there's so much kind of innate wisdom there. Again, it's just so much he, something he was just able to conjure and you just kind of, you wonder how he's able to do it. first come to the empire strikes back like how did you first see it i saw it on pirate video we had a friend who had access to certain uh, new films theatrical releases on video because he worked for some distribution company or something and this was like kind of in like 82 83 so video machines were still fairly new as well so if you wanted to actually buy a video on a, I mean, I, th- I think I remember when I was a kid, kind of reading this video catalog, and I remember Greece was advertised and uh, and Battlestar Galactica, and they were like eighty quid, eighty pounds a uh, a cassette, mm-hmm. uh, which which is crazy because <laughs> I mean now you get a, you can buy a DVD player for twenty quid <laughs> in some places. It's a cheap one, and it probably won't be very good, but. Uh, so yeah, so and I just remember being I kind of I'd seen I think I'd seen Star Wars at that point and I'd seen Jaws and probably other kind of cartoony things, but um, I just remember it was, it was really grainy because yeah it was terrible it was pretty bad transfer but I still kind of remember it because because it was kind of all the snow scenes, so it was white and then grain on top of it, <laughs> um, but it was just <clears throat> it was mesmerizing. But it kind of, it wasn't till kind of like when I hit like 12, 11 to 12 that I watched it again. Kind of, this was when I was kind of starting to actually watch films properly and realising just how different it was to Star Wars just in terms of the kind of the tone of it and uh, and, and what actually happened really. Because there's so much stuff where you watch things as a kid and it doesn't always... Um, kind of seep through exactly what happens. So, so watching these things as an adult is kind of like both good and bad. Watching like a whole new film, and you just remember kind of like snippets. Um, so revisiting it when I was kind of going into my teenage years and just realizing how amazing it was and how amazingly different it was from the original Star Wars and how different Luke's journey was and kind of the kind of the kind of maturity going through there um, of of the film that uh, yeah that really kind of shocked me.
in terms of like how Empire has influenced like how you listen to films, like uh, being as how y- you have essentially become sort of like a, a film music scholar. Um, like how how is this uh, effect, like how did it change the way that you like listened to movies? Well, it was really it's, with the with the RP. It was my first kind of um, real exposure to um, instrumental soundtracks. Um, I mean, I didn't have any LPs before that, so I either listened to kind of some of my sister's ones, which was kind of mostly stuff like the Human League, kind of the uh, the new romantic stuff, and Duran Duran, or um, my parents were into opera and stuff, and they had a couple of soundtracks. And they had stuff like My Fair Lady and things like that. And also they had Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Mm-hmm. Because I remember pissing my parents off by um, taking the Chitty Chitty Bang Bang LP and cutting the uh, the picture of the car out of the cover. Mm-hmm. And uh, as, as, a, as a vinyl fan now, that's kind of like, it's, it's a horrifying thought. Um, but as a kid, it was just like, all right, I like the car. I like the film. Um, I want to play with it. I don't have one, so I'll just cut this bit out of the LP. And, uh, yeah, my parents were not pleased. Um, but um, so so just listening to that soundtrack again and again and then having a, um, a Walkman or what was a, a cheap Walkman invitation at the time until I was actually able to afford a proper Walkman um, or an actual main Walkman. So wanting these... Uh, this music on tape. So, and then by that time, I was kind of watching other films and not just other Star, Star Wars films, but there was kind of like um, stuff, there was like Star Trek films that, that, that I kind of started to get into, um, basically from watching the original series, the reruns. And then uh, I kind of started watching horror films as well. So what I would do is um, get a... Uh, tape recorder, portable tape recorder and uh, just go and hold that up to the speaker of the TV um, at the main and end credits and that was my way of getting some of this amazing music into a format which I could enjoy it when instead of just having to watch the film Um, so I had a tape which had like, it had um, The Empire Strikes Back end credits and it had like the Star Trek the motion picture main title and the uh, the Wrath of Khan main title and it had stuff like the uh, the main titles from the first two Omen films the Jerry Goldsmith music from there because <laughs> um, I remember being I remember taping the uh, the opening to the Omen 2 the Omen the, the first film's fine because it just literally it's just Ave Satani playing um, over the screen with um the figure of Damien appearing. Um, whereas in the second one, the credits are over one of the characters um, driving around, I think it's Jerusalem or somewhere like that, um, looking for this archaeological dig. So you've got this great music, and it's it's amazing, because um, what, what Goldsmith did with that sequel is, is use this kind of fast-paced, synth-driven alternate or... Uh, new version of Arvis Tani and it's so good um, so on the tape you've got basically this amazing music and also the kind of 
foley effects from this jeep that's driving around and uh and all these jerusalem street scenes and that kind of thing which was annoying <laughs> but um but yeah so it's just yeah just a just the freedom of being able to listen to music like that and at that time as well lps were kind of winding down a bit anyway unfortunately um so i mean i the empire when i bought it in a uh I think it was it was almost like a secondhand toy shop um, stall thing in a, in a kind of market in the centre of the city I lived at the time, um, like a flea market, and it sold like vintage Star Wars stuff, so which I was collecting at the time. But it also they also sold me that record as well, which was uh, just kind of like a, a a lucky stroke, I guess. So it's just a case of doing that, and then finally getting a CD player. Because um, I, I guess I was relatively late to uh, to getting a CD player, at least compared to kind of my friends and things. So this was like the mm, 94, 95. So the first two CDs I bought were Alanis Morissette's Jagged Little Pill, because <laughs> that was kind of like the big one at the time amongst all my friends, um, and, um, and Return of the Jedi. Um, it wasn't the original soundtrack. It was um, a uh, symphonic suite, as they called it. Basically, there was this amazing guy called Charles Gerhardt. And what he did, him and this guy called George Corncourt, who, if I remember correctly, was a relative of um, Eric Wolfgang Korngold, mm. who scored um, stuff like The Adventures of Robin Hood and all those, The Seahawk and all those amazing Errol Flynn films and stuff. In the, uh, in, in the 30s and 40s. Um, and what they did is they did these series of records for uh, RCA that were basically new recordings of classic... It was basically, this, 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 this series was called the Classic Film Score Series. Um, and I think it started in the late 60s or early 70s. And they did, so it was basically albums of suites of, or cues of music based on the theme of either a composer or something like an actor. Like they did a couple, which was films from Errol Flynn or films of Humphrey Bogart or, and films of Betty Davis. But there was also like, there was, um, they did Bernard Homan, Franz Waxman, um, Max Steiner. Alfred Newman, all these um, amazing, amazing golden age composers, Dimitri Tongian, and it was kind of like, for many people, including myself, it was really kind of a gateway into the kind of golden age of film scoring, and uh, they reissued, reissued them recently, actually, on CD, and kind of remastered them, and uh, they're just amazing. But um, one thing that he did was in 1977 when Star Wars came along he, uh, he he decided to add that because it was such well because of the impact that Star Wars had where the, for all intents and purposes it reintroduced symphonic film scoring in a big way to, uh, to film music at the time it was still going on but maybe not to the kind of huge degree that, uh, that it did after Star Wars so because of that he uh, he did a suite and he got John Williams to because John Williams had done a suite anyway for people to 
record or perform. And he got John Williams to add an extra cue onto that. Um, and then uh, on the so on one side and a couple of tracks of side B was Star Wars, and then the rest of side B was kind of like a suite of uh, a twenty-minute suite of Close Encounters, which is another obvious John Williams masterpiece. And and I mean, astonishing again that he did it in the same year as he did Stokes. How many different versions do you own? Um, well, uh, I've just recently bought another one because um, they just reissued another one, um, and it's weird. They kind of they've done some. They've kind of apparently remixed it, but kind of there's some weird dropouts and some weird reverb issues. Um, but I'd say so. I've got the original LP. Actually, I've got two two versions. I've got a uh, an American version. And then a repress, which they did in, I think, 2015 or 2016. Um, so Charles Gerhardt, he did then, he did Empire and Jedi after that. Um, so I've got the, um, the Empire one on vinyl and CD. Um, and then I've got the, uh, they did like an anthology box set in 1993. And it was in that. And then they reissued again with the special editions in 1997. <laughs> which was mostly the full score. Um, but again, it was remixed weirdly in a couple of places. And then they, uh, they did a, they did a uh, I think, I'm pretty sure it was probably the same remaster as the, uh, the vinyl, to be honest with you, but it was like a digital remaster. So I'd say probably about six or seven different versions, either across LP, CD, um, and digital. I don't have any tapes, Do sadly. You- and I'd, Sorry, uh, do you have like uh, the the Mecco Star Wars uh, like Empire Strikes Back album? No, I don't. Um, I kind of I don't I I can't get on it with that much. I I love I kind of love what he did with Star Wars, but kind of like the stuff after that, it doesn't really speak to me in the same way. Um, but one thing I do have, which is amazing, is because I mean, allegedly, the uh, the head of the record company that got the rights for Empire Strikes Back, because um, the, the, the first one was just released on the on the, the studio label 20th Century Records, um, but uh, this Rhino Records, which at the time was called RSA, um, apparently paid a million dollars for the rights to the soundtrack. Um, so what what they did is is they did the uh, I don't. I don't know if it was them that actually released the Miko because they also, instead, and this is an album I do have as well, actually, um, they released a different disco one by this guy called Boris Midney, mm. um, which was, I think was actually a better one. Um, and I've got that somewhere. But amazingly, th- again, to try to, I guess, make some of this million dollars back, they released this record called Empire Jazz. Oh. Um, and uh, so what this was is um, they got these um, 
this uh, jazz jazz leader called uh, Ron Carter and uh, and got him to put her together a uh, a band and just do their own jazz interpretations of of the main themes from the score <laughs> and it, it sounds ridiculous but it's great it's just it's it's kind of i mean there's a cheesiness kind of inherent just into in the concept really but as an actual kind of listening experience it's it's pretty fun i'm now looking at the album art for that and i realize <laughs> i have heard of it uh because that cover art is something once seen never forgotten oh, absolutely Oh, that's fantastic. I totally forgotten about that. So what what projects are you working on right now? Um, well, I've got my um my movie drone column, uh, which is kind of for the quietest. Um which is just a basic monthly rundown of uh, all the uh, kind of soundtracks, um, etc. Um and uh, it's nice because I've, I've started to include vinyl again, which is nice. Because um, they're actually sending me vinyl for review, <laughs> uh, which I guess is the benefit of um, writing for someone like the Quietest, as opposed to when it was just me doing it at Films on Wax. And obviously uh, yourself as well, um, who uh, who <laughs> was able to get records. Um, but uh, So that, that kind of usually... Um, comes out around the uh, the second or third Friday of uh, of each month, and uh, so at, at the moment I just I just finished a uh, a piece for a magazine called Scream Magazine, um, which is a print horror magazine, and you can uh, it's published in the UK, but you can buy it in like Barnes and Noble and things in the in the States, and uh, I've just I kind of did regular stuff the last day. Last issue, I did a piece on the, the horror music of Jerry Goldsmith, and uh, this one just gone. I just did this kind of big retrospective on this uh, film called Wolfen um, from 1981, which I'm a really kind of big fan. Um, and then I'm also working on or finishing off something for the uh, the inaugural version or the inaugural edition of the new Fangoria, which is kind of amazing to even say. I saw you on that list and I was just like, that's so amazing. Yeah, I I don't know if I can really talk about what I'm writing about yet, so it can be a bit of a surprise, but it's really interesting and it's kind of stuff I've never really kind of delved into before much myself. Um, So it's, it's, yes, just wanted to kind of get something special for that. Um, And other than that, it's just kind of like just just freelancing around the place really um and just writing as as much as i can well i wish you uh the best of luck and i look forward to reading everything you put out because it's always quite a delight thank you charlie for for taking time to talk empire strikes back with me this has been like a lot of fun you're welcome no it's been brilliant thank you uh, thank you for inviting me
Thanks to Charlie for speaking with me. You can find him on Twitter at MovieDrone, and you can read his work at The Quietus, among many other places. You can find this show on Facebook and Twitter at FromInspiredPod, and at our website, FromInspiredBy.com. Please hit up the website and click on the Give Us Money button to help pay for web hosting and long-distance fees, and remember to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. We'll be back in two weeks with the next installment of your favorite soundtrack, talking with John Dobbins, one half of the electronic duo Alone in the Woods, as well as the man behind anime reissue label Tiger Lab Vinyl. Until then, thanks for listening. <laughs>